Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. My name is Dave, and it's so good to have the opportunity to share with you today as we kick off a quick series right here before Thanksgiving uh, that we're calling How's Our Heart? It's an opportunity to check our hearts, uh, examine ourselves as we seek to become disciples of Jesus. And so today we're going to ask, how is my heart in terms of anger? You know, it's been interesting to me uh, to watch how my kids process anger in their life. My kids are very young. And uh, my son, uh, he is very interesting with his anger. It could go one of two ways now when he gets angry. He either cries and whines for everything that he wants, or he starts to show a little bit of physical expression now. I've actually seen him recently stomp his feet uh, when he's mad. And so it's interesting to see how they process anger and how it's often very, very similar to us. But recently he said this to me. He said, he said, Dada, you're Iron Man. Mama is Robin. I'm Batman. And he said, the baby is the Hulk. And uh, when I thought about that, I said, you know, he's kind of right. The baby is the Hulk. You know, sometimes she could be that way. Uh, I could go into her room in the morning and I don't know if I'm getting the sweet baby or I'm getting the Hulk. You won't like me when I'm angry. And she begins to put a serious and angry face on uh, sometimes. But that's one of the taglines from the Hulk, right? You won't like me when I'm angry. And if you've ever seen uh, any of the Hulk movies or, or followed it over the years, it's at those moments that he transforms into this, this giant green monster and he devours everything and destroys everything uh, that is in sight. And so David's right. Sometimes the baby can be the Hulk, but the reality is we can all be the Hulk. And so that's the question I want to ask today. What makes you and I the Hulk? What makes us angry? And as I think about what makes me angry in my life, I realize a lot of times it is silly things. Uh, it's it's waiting too, line, too long in the checkout line. It's the person that cuts in front of me in traffic and then they go two miles an hour. Please tell me you feel my pain uh, on that one. Uh, when my sports teams stink and they always stink, it makes me, uh, it makes me angry. It upsets me. Uh, maybe you've had a, uh, an opportunity in life where you've been in a fight with someone. After you say, what are we even fighting about? This is so stupid. This is so silly. Why did I get so angry about this? We can examine other areas of our life. We can look and see areas of our life that we perceive to be lacking. Maybe, maybe relationships or where we thought would be in life at this point in time. And we could be angry about where we are. And I don't know about you, but it just seems that the world is a lot angrier these days. Maybe you've noticed that as well. I've mentioned before that I often teach, uh, substitute teach uh, in the local school district here. And uh, it doesn't matter what school I go to, what district, there's a few districts I'm involved with. Everyone's angry. Everyone's upset from teachers to parents to kids. Everyone seems on edge right now. As we've gone to uh, our social media feeds, you know, it, Twitter is like the angry capital of the world. Someone says something nice and 10 people say something uh, that, that causes some kind of fight. And so our social media is filled with it. If we go to uh, the grocery lines and restaurants and, and all these places, uh, have you been to Walgreens Pharmacy and stood in that line? <laughs> I have, right? It's easy to get angry in those moments. In fact, I, I kid you not, as I was preparing the message this week, I got a text from a friend of mine and uh, I had sent him something in the mail and he said, hey, thanks, man. I just got it. I said, you just got it. I sent it like two weeks ago like, and I, I was getting angry at the postal service. Come on. How come that didn't get there sooner? But then my friend told me they only checks the mail about once a week. And so I said, oh, I got angry without all the facts uh, in that moment. And so there's so much that will set us off 
And we've seen that a lot over this last year. People that are normally gentle and meek and mild perhaps have been a lot angrier. And a lot of people will say, well, this is a result of the pandemic in our lives. Um, I recently listened to an interview with some psychologists and they talked about how our anger is usually a response to some sort of pain and uh, there's so many forms of pain uh, we know there's been a lot of pain and change is often pain that's happened uh, through through this pandemic um, but i would suggest something different i would suggest that the pandemic yes while it's given us opportunity for pain and that may have manifested itself as anger um, rather, it just brought out what was already going on uh, within our hearts. And so as we heart check, sometimes we might find some things in there that we don't necessarily like. And as we process this today, we're going to see that not all anger is bad. But if we're honest and we examine our life, we'll see that often the anger in our life is destructive. Most of our anger ends up devouring us and destroying us in some way. It destroys our relationships. It could destroy our joy. It could even destroy our ability uh, to be effective for uh, the Lord. And so let's look at 1 Samuel 25 today to kind of see how a few people process anger and what we could learn from them. And 1 Samuel 25 is a very lengthy passage. And so I won't be reading every verse, just kind of a few select highlights today. But I encourage you to go back and read it later. So this way you could kind of get the full uh, full context of it. Just to give us some quick context, we're, we're in the life of King David. Um, he's not the king at this point. He's actually on the run from the previous king, Saul, hiding in caves. Um, he's had to leave his family. Uh, it's not been a comfortable time for him, a lot of pain um, for him. And we read in the beginning of chapter 25 that Samuel, the prophet of the land, one of the guys that probably David looked up to and had a relationship with, had just passed away. And so there's a lot going on in David's life at this point. Maybe we can find ourselves in a similar scenario. And we read this in 1 Samuel 25, verses 2 to 3. It says, A certain man in Moen, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. And, and so we learn a little bit about Nabal and um, his wife, Abigail, and Nabal does not get a favorable description. He's surly, he's mean, probably a generally angry person. Um, he's called a Calebite, which there was a Caleb in the Bible who was pretty awesome, and maybe Nabal was descended from him, uh, but this is also a wordplay in the original Hebrew that Calebite can also be translated dog, so it's kind of saying like, hey, this is his temperament, this is, this is his personality here, and so he's called out for who he is. He's a wealthy man, he has a lot of, a lot of possessions, sheep and goats, and rich in possessions, but not necessarily rich in character. And then we have his wife Abigail, she's described as smart and beautiful. And as we read the text there, it told us that it was sheep shearing time. And that was a festive and celebratory time. It was kind of like, all right, we had all this hard work for a long time. Now we get to enjoy it. We get to make a little bit of a profit from our work from, from the year. And so it's at this time that David sends 10 young men to Nabal and says, hey, Nabal, Remember, we, we protected you. Um, there was real threats in those days. Raids from the Philistines and others would come into the area. And so, hey, we protected you. You didn't lose anything. My men helped you out. And so now I'm in some need and I need some help on some supplies. Um, whatever you have, could you help us out uh, with that? And we might read that and think like, is David like shaking someone down here? You know, is this like what we might see portrayed in a TV show or movie where there's a gang that owns the block and then they shake every business owner down for payment uh, for protection? And, and that's not what's happening here. Um, David was acting appropriately according to the culture that day. He did provide a valuable service 
it was not unreasonable for him to come to Nabal and say, hey, I, I, I now have a need. And as I served you, I'm asking you to serve me in this moment. In fact, the way that David goes about it is, is in a gentle way. He sends, he sends some young men uh, there to collect uh, the payment. Uh, but not only that, he waits until sheep shearing time. He could have asked for the payment and asked for supplies earlier uh, when they had done the protecting. Uh, but David wanted to make sure that Nabal was actually able to get his income uh, throughout the season and then to be able to, to help him. Uh, also, if you go back and read, you'll see that David tells the messengers to say, this is David, your son. And so David is humbling himself. Um, this, this isn't a shakedown. But cue the anger as if it was a shakedown. Let's read verses 10 to 13. It says, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. So David's response is, who's this David guy? It's not that he didn't know him. He's just kind of like, who does he think that he is? Maybe you and I have had that reaction before. We've got to be, I can't believe they just said that to me. They want me to do what? They think that after that, I'm going to do, get, get out of here, right? And, and I'm emphasizing the I and the me here because that's kind of the tone that we get from Nabal. In fact, in verse 11, he uses I and my uh, four times uh, within that verse. And we often view anger through the lens that it affects me. Remember before I told you about psychologists had told us that often we respond to our pain uh, in anger. And so Nabal here was facing the pain of financial payment. It was going to affect him. His response is anger. He even goes as far as to insult David. He says, many servants are breaking away from these masters. This is a cheap shot. This is saying, yeah, I know about your drama with Saul. And uh, yeah, you're rebellious. You're going about it the wrong way. Now, if we read the scriptures, we see that's the opposite because David actually went about it the right way. We're going to see a couple instances of that in just a moment. But he honored Saul. He didn't try to take the throne from him. And so this was really an insult into David's life. And so Nabal is angry because he's inconvenienced. He's angry because someone wants something from him. We can find ourselves here. We've been there in those moments. But then we have David. And we read a little bit of David's response. Again, go back and read it. There's more. But David hears this response, and my man is ready to go scorched earth. <laughs> Do we see ourselves here? We're in the line. The cashier is taking forever, painstakingly slow. We just go want to get out of there. And so we maybe berate them or mutter under our breath to the other customers. Now, I shared in the past about a story of of my wife's engagement ring and how I felt I was being taken advantage of by, by the jewelry store and how I prayed in my anger, Lord, close this place up, take it, take it down. Um, if you've ever had to deal with a poor customer service in, uh, issue, maybe you, like David, have wanted to go scorched earth. I'm going to take him down. And so David says, me and my 400 men, we're coming to get you. Um, and, and Nabal was angry because he was inconvenienced. David was angry because he didn't get what he wanted. I have the right to those supplies. I worked for it. Doesn't Nabal realize maybe who I am and what I'm doing? Again, all through the lens of self. And so I hope we can see ourselves there. I hope we can see the moments where we say, I deserve this. I have a right to it, but that's not fair. And then the anger floods in to our life. And there's two interesting things that I find about David's response that maybe can help us process our heart a little bit today. The first is that David's response is not commensurate with what happened. 
right? The man didn't give you supplies and you were taking 400 men to fight him. In fact, in a couple of verses that we, we didn't read today, David actually says, God help me if I don't kill every male in his household. That's where David is at. And this can be us sometimes, right? If we think of an offense on a scale of one to 10, it can be a one or two and we respond with a 16. You know, my wife and I have had this discussion a lot recently as, as we raise our kids and, and, and trying to learn how to do that well. It's not, it's not easy. And there's certainly moments where we could get angry or upset with our kids when they're, when they're not listening. In fact, just last week, I was uh, making uh, breakfast for my son. Uh, my daughter was crying, so I was holding her at the same time. And getting everybody out of the house in the morning is always a challenge. And so I'm trying to calm her down. He's being uh, a little agitated as well. So I'm trying to calm him down. I'm trying to make him breakfast. And he kept grabbing uh, one of the bottles that was containing the baby's formula. And I said, hey, please put that down because I have to give that to the baby in a minute. And he didn't do it. And I said it again and again and again. And now I'm starting to get a little aggravated. Well, eventually... Uh, he sticks the bottle into the tub of butter that I had out where I was trying to butter his bagel while holding his sister at the same time. And so now I'm upset. Like, Come on, man. I'm trying to get things done. I'm trying to get us out of the house. You're not helping me. And so I took the, the formula and I put it in the sink. I said, I have to wash this. Can't use this. You know, whatever the case uh, may be. And then he was upset that the formula got taken away. And as I thought about that later on, I said, why doesn't he understand? And, and, and I thought about my reaction. And I said, my reaction was probably a 12, and this was probably a 1 or a 2. And I have to remind myself, he's 2. I'm supposedly 35, you know? And, 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 and so was it wrong that I got angry? Was it wrong that I was upset and that was the emotion that I was feeling in that moment? No. But my reaction was wrong. My reaction didn't honor the Lord. It wasn't a gospel response, and it wasn't commensurate to the situation. It wasn't what the Lord would have me do. I went scorched earth in that moment. And so David too, he could have been angry, but it, the way he went about it wasn't honoring to the Lord. This is where our anger gets us in trouble. This is where anger devours us and we have to check our hearts. Listen to Ephesians chapter four. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you were still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And we'll talk about that scripture a little later uh, in, in this message, but it says, in our anger, do not sin. Getting angry isn't a sin. It's often an emotion that will flood in, uh, in, in, our, in in different moments of our life. But what we do with our anger, that can often lead us to sin. And this is who we're seeing, Nabal and David. This is what we're seeing in my own life, and maybe you see in your life as well. And so we can learn from David about needing to have a gospel reaction. We'll talk more about that at the end today. But we could also learn from David about our biases. Here, here's what I mean. Uh, if you go back and read chapter 24 and chapter 26, the two chapters that kind of sandwich this chapter, you'll notice that David has a very similar interaction with Saul in both places. Remember, Saul was trying to kill David and take his life. And in chapter 24 and chapter 26, David kind of has this opportunity um, to, to kill Saul he, in different instances, and, and, and he doesn't do it. He forgives him. He says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He shows great mercy and patience. So think about this. David has Saul who's trying to kill him, yet he forgives Saul. David has Nabal who won't feed him, and he wants to destroy him and his entire household. And so maybe as we examine our life, we could see the same bias. Let me give you an example. Someone at work and someone in our home does the same exact thing. One person we flip out on, the other person we give grace and mercy to. It can happen there, right? It, 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 it can happen in, in, in friends in school. 
The person that is our friend does something, may we give them grace or mercy. The person that's not our friend, maybe we destroy them. It reveals a bias towards that person in our heart. Maybe we could take it from this perspective. Saul um, was, a, uh, by his position of king, um, you know, um, he was in an authority position to David. And so maybe that's why David respected him. Maybe that's why David wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. But when he saw Nabal, maybe he didn't see that same image of God. Maybe he thought, well, I'm better than Nabal. I'm the next king. Or Nabal's at the very least, or at the very most, my equal. And so I could treat Nabal this way. I could flip out on him. No one's going to care because I'm David and he's Nabal. And so we have to think about where does that happen in my life? Who, who do I look down upon and think it doesn't matter how I treat them. It doesn't matter what I say to them. They'll get over it. No one will care and we'll move forward. We need to really consider those moments. Are we having a gospel response in those times? And so both David and Nabal responded in anger, but they both did for very different reasons. But the reality is they were both on the path to destruction. And so the story continues. There's a servant who saw all this happen and he goes to Abigail. Remember, she's described as smart. And so he goes to Abigail and he tells her what's happening. And uh, I wonder, the scripture does not tell us this, but I wonder if Abigail was angry in that moment. Again, it's a presupposition. Scripture does not saying it. I'm purely speculating. But I wonder if she just said, oh, this guy again. How many times I get to bail him out? He's going he's gonna to get our whole family killed. What's wrong with this guy? I, again, pure speculation. But the servant says to Abigail in verse 17, think about this. Consider what to do. And I think there's a practical takeaway for us there because many times we react rather than we respond to anger. It happens in the moment, our blood gets boiling, so to speak, and we just respond. And we miss that opportunity of processing and thinking, how would the Lord want me to handle the situation? And so Abigail does that. She considers and, and she goes out and meets David and she brings the supplies and food that he asked for. And when she meets him at this point, uh, David is stewing. He's muttering about wanting to kill everybody. But Abigail meets him and we read this. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And so she humbles herself before David. We could even say like this. She kind of takes the guilt of Nabal on herself. She's like, hey, I didn't see him. I'm sorry. This is on me. I would have fixed it. I, I, I would have dealt with it. And we don't have time to read the conversation today, but I encourage you to read it because you will see how Abigail masterfully points David back to the Lord over and over again. Seven times she uses the word Yahweh, the, the, the name of God. Yahweh will fight your battles. Yahweh will establish your kingdom. Yahweh will deal with your enemies. And so she's pointing him and diffusing the situation, say, look to the Lord, look to the Lord. You know, maybe we could frame it this way. 2 Corinthians 10.5, written thousands of years uh, past this uh, point of 1 Samuel 25, but still uh, an important principle, tells us to take every thought captive to Christ. In other words, what we think, we have to say, does this line up with who Jesus is? We need to do that all the time, but certainly when we're angry. Hey, what I'm about to do, what I'm plotting in my mind, what I'm thinking... Is this what Jesus would have for me? Again, a gospel response. And if we're able to do that, that will keep us from sin in those moments. But sometimes we also need the help of others to do that. Sometimes we can't even think clearly in that moment. So we need good, wise Abigails in our life to say, hey, process this. Look to the Lord. And, and, and that's what she did. And it's interesting, we mentioned 1 Samuel 24 and 26, where David had opportunity to kill Saul. It was in those moments that the counselors around David said, kill Saul. 
This is your time. David said, hey, the Lord is delivering him into your hands. This is your moment, David. And he, he knew that wasn't from the Lord. He refused to do that. But here, he needed the wise counselor in Abigail to help them. And so it begs a question. When we're angry, as we're checking our heart, who do we listen to? I mentioned before that I could get angry about uh, one of the, my sports teams, specifically the Mets. They stink. In fact, at the recording of this time, they are mishandling every single situation uh, that they possibly could have. And so I like to read about the Mets uh, on Twitter and a couple different blogs and websites, as well as listen to sports talk radio. And so I hear all these other fans calling in and knocking the team. And what does it do? It elevates my, yeah, they're right. Oh, this guy, that guy, why did they do this? Why did they make that move? Right. And it gets us all riled up. And I think that's some of the fun uh, of sports sometimes, but think about how that could happen in our life. We face a moment of anger. And I tell us, the people we get around in those moments are either going to point us to the Lord or they're going to help that anger devour us. Maybe the social media that we engage in will inflame us in our anger or devour us. You know, I, I saw something interesting this week. Uh, there's been Facebook has been in the news a lot recently. Um, and one of the things that came out this week was that they prioritized the angry emoji. So what that means is posts that got an angry reaction were put in our news feed i think they said five times uh more than other posts that simply got a like why it was fueling the discussion and the content on their platform which obviously makes them money but what's it also doing it's fueling our our anger and so the people we get around the media uh that we consume will either point us back to the lord or it will take us away from the lord it's been said before about leaders that and I think it applies to this context. Leaders are always carrying a gasoline can and a water can. And many times in leadership, you got to put out some fires. And the question is going to be, will you throw gasoline on the fire or the water? And that's what the people around us will do for us when we're angry. It doesn't have to be a leader. It could be anybody in our life. And so to close up this story and then apply it to our heart today, David doesn't attack. Abigail goes home. She tells Nabal what happened. Uh, he's upset probably because he lost a very small amount of his income. And the scripture says his heart became like stone. And commentators are split as to whether that was figurative or literal. But 10 days later, Nabal dies. And uh, we don't know how much time passes, but David then goes and marries Abigail. Uh, we read in this chapter that David's other wife, Michal, uh, who was the daughter of Saul, uh, Saul kind of kept her from David and gave her off in marriage to someone else after she was already married to David. And so David probably got all of Nabal's property. So as the moral today hey, don't get angry and you'll get a spouse and you'll get property. No, that's not where we're going today. But we can see how easily angry can, anger can devour our life. And so again, I would suggest it's only a sign of what's happening beneath the surface. I mentioned before, I don't think COVID is making anyone angry. I think it's just bringing out, it's a tool that's bringing out what's already there. And so we have to ask a deeper question, why? Why do I get angry about the things I get angry about? Why can't I stand that person? Why was my reaction this? Why did that bother me so much? Because as we've said before, if we just deal with the fruit, that root will produce that somewhere else in our life. And so if we solve the anger issue in our home or our school or our workplace, great, that's awesome. But if we didn't deal with the root of what's underneath, what's actually in our heart, that anger will just come back. And it's an important question to ask why, because as we mentioned before, not all anger is sin. We know Jesus got angry. We know Jesus did not sin. One of the examples of Jesus' anger is when he flips the tables in the temple. Well, why did he do that? Why did he have such that's an intense reaction? Uh, scripture actually says he made a whip, right? Uh, think about that. That's an intense reaction. Why? Well, because people were being taken advantage of. Here, here's what that would look like in context. 
people would often come to the sacrifice at the temple from very long distances. We're talking upwards of a couple dozen miles. It could have been 50, 60 miles, sometimes even more that people uh, would travel to sacrifice. Well, you're not going to carry an animal with you that whole time. And so you would get there, you'd buy the animal in Jerusalem, and then you would sacrifice in the temple. And so the sellers in the temple realized they had a monopoly. What are you going to do? Walk back 60 miles and then come back again? Which I don't know. You're going to pay whatever I say you're going to pay. And so they were taking advantage of people. And it was interesting in our discussion of this message this week, I was talking with uh, Angela from our church and uh, she pointed out something she learned recently, which I thought was extremely helpful, how Jesus would go to the temple year after year after year. And so when he flips the tables, this is not the first time he saw it. (laughs) He probably saw this happening time and time again, but he processed that. He took time to think through what's a gospel reaction. Sometimes a gospel reaction may be an intense reaction. It's very possible. But the other thing to notice here is Jesus' anger has nothing to do with himself. It has nothing to do with how I'm affected or how he was affected. Rather, he was looking at others. Nehemiah is another example of what we might call righteous anger. He was mad about people being exploited on loans to the point where they had to sell their kids into slavery. And so he did something about it. The New Testament actually uses three different words uh, for anger. Uh, The first is paragosimos. This is found in Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about not provoking our children to anger. And this describes a seething hostility, a suppressed anger, um, something under the surface. So an example would be, we hear someone at school or at work say something about us, and so we start destroying them in our mind, plotting our moves against them. It's paragosimos. It's going to lead us into sin. Then there's thulos. This is found in Galatians 5.20, in the acts of the flesh. This is what our flesh will produce. And so this is explosive anger and outbursts of anger. And so someone said something about us at school or at work, and we just ripped them. And we showed everybody who was really in control in that situation. And, and we responded and reacted maybe in a verbal or physical way. And then there's orge. This is what's found in Ephesians 4, in our anger, do not sin. Orge is not at automatic sin as the other two are. Orge, rather, is where we actually stop and think and process and have a gospel response we should not ignore our anger. If we ignore orge, it's going to become the other two very easily, right? That's not the answer. In fact, when we're angry, it shows what's important to us. And that, that could be very revealing of what's, what's in our heart. Um, and so an example, I hear someone make me mad because of what they said about me at work or at school. And so I take a walk with the Lord and I begin to pray about it. And I ask the Lord for wisdom. I get some wise Abigails around me and I ask them to help and counsel me through the situation. Orge is actually used of Jesus in Mark 3, 5 that there was, Jesus was getting angry because they kept trying to trap him and accuse him and his gospel response is he heals somebody. And so in our anger, let's not sin. And so let's think it through. Anger is not automatic sin. We need to process it. And so let's learn two things here. There are things that should make us righteously angry. We should, like Jesus, like Nehemiah, get upset when people are taking advantage, getting taken advantage of or being exploited. We should be angry about sin, especially the sin in our own lives. And above all, we need a gospel response. We use that language a lot today to respond to every single moment, every single instance when we get anger. You know, uh, we said before, sometimes we respond as a 12 when it's it's a 2, but we need a gospel response instead. What would someone who's a follower of Jesus, a disciple, every disciple has a Holy Spirit, someone that has a Holy Spirit in their life, someone, as we talked last week, could come boldly to the throne of God for grace in their time of need because of Jesus. How would they respond in a gospel-mannered way? of Jesus. That's the question we need to ask. And so it leads us back to the why. Why? And this reminds us really of our heart idols. I know we've talked about this a lot. Power, control, comfort, approval. Anger could probably be found in those heart idols when we ask the why. 
For example, am I angry because I'm losing power? You know, maybe I didn't get promoted at work or I didn't get to the college I want. And now I'm not going to get to that status and that title. We're angry because we're losing power. Or am I angry because I'm losing control? I should be further along in life than I'm now. My life should look different. I should have different things or whatever the case may be. I'm angry because I'm losing control. Or am I angry because I'm losing comfort? My kids aren't listening to me and so, so I, I can't do what I want. Angry because my comfort's being lost. Or I'm angry because I don't have someone's approval. Someone said something about me and now everyone believes it and my reputation is ruined. And the reality is we have to repent of these idols in order to truly deal with error. These are the things that are rooted deep in our heart. And when we give it to Jesus and we repent of these things, just watch and how Jesus equips us to live for him. Lord, I don't want anger to devour me, so I need a new heart. I, I, I need you. I don't want to live this way. You know, as we close today, there's an anger that we often forget. And it's the wrath of God. We don't like talking about it. It doesn't make us comfortable. A lot of avenues we could take with that, but just one. If God is a holy God, then he cannot tolerate my sin. He has to punish my sin. And, and, and there's a wrath that's involved in that. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are saved from God's wrath by Jesus. That's good news for us. How? Well, Jesus did what Abigail did in greater measure. Abigail humbled herself took the guilt upon herself. Well, that's what Jesus did. He humbled himself. He stepped into this world. He took my sin, my guilt upon him as if he was the one who committed the sin. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin, referring to Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our guilt so that we in turn could get his righteousness. This is the first anger that we need to deal with. Yes, we could talk about what's in our heart and all those things, but we have to realize there is this sin that separates us from God. The wrath of God is upon us when we're not in Christ. We are God's enemies, but Romans gave us good news. God has already made the path, so this doesn't have to be so. And the answer is Jesus no longer enemies, but a son and daughter by trusting what Jesus did on the cross. His death and resurrection has saved us and freed us from being uh, in, in, an enemy of God. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never made that decision to trust God in that way, to trust Jesus in that way, you can do that right where you are. You can just pray, Jesus, I'm trusting that your death and resurrection saves me. That's where I'm putting my faith. That's where I'm putting my hope. And if you're doing that, we'd love to process with you and walk further with you and encourage you. And so there's a link on whatever platform you're watching with us today that you could click and we'll just come and follow up with you and encourage you and celebrate with you in that moment. But for others of us here today, we need to realign our hearts. We need to do a heart check, root out the idols. Why am I really getting angry and repent before God? Do we love the power, the control, the comfort and approval more than we love Jesus? The way we will know is when we see anger actually expose those things in our life. And so let's take some time today to consider why am I really angry? Let's think about the last thing that made us angry. Why did I really get angry in that moment? Today we can repent and find victory in Jesus. I believe it's critical we get this as a church. 
You know, in Ephesians 4, we talked about in our anger, do not sin. But the second half of that verse is deal with it before the sun goes down uh, so that the devil doesn't get a foothold. Anger that devours us will give the devil a foothold. It will give the devil an opportunity to divide us, to destroy us, to destroy the relationships in our life, to deceive us. But ultimately, it'll get us off the mission which God has called us. We are called to serve the kingdom of God by making disciples. And we might say, well, I have the right to be mad about this situation. Maybe we do. Very possible. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church this, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. In other words, yeah, do whatever you want, but it's not going to be a benefit. Not everything's a benefit. And so in our anger, yeah, I have the right maybe to be angry. Sure. But what I do with that anger, is it going to benefit me? Bigger question. Is it going to benefit the kingdom of God? Is it going to help make disciples? Is it going to make Jesus more attractive to a lost and dying world? Or is it going to make Jesus less attractive to it? Is my anger taking me to Paragosimos or Thumis? Or is my anger taking me to back to the cross of Jesus? You know, Jesus called us to lay down our rights, to deny ourselves and take up our cross. That means many times we will need to take a different response to our anger. We'll need to step away from it. So here's a practical thing to do as we close. I believe the answer to anger is praise and thanksgiving. When we're praising God, when we're giving thanks for what God's doing in our life, it's really hard to act out in anger in a way that would be sin. And so I would encourage us, let's cultivate that. When we're in moments uh, 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 of anger, we've got to train ourselves. It's not going to be easy. Holy Spirit, come and help us do this. But let's just start to praise. What good could I find in this situation? What good can I see that God's doing? How can I praise God in my life? How can I thank him in the moment? And we got to cultivate this. Maybe a way for us to do that is to do it when we're not angry and continually praise and thank God each day for something in our life, even a small thing. It will realign our heart. It will show us and to behold something different rather than the idols that make us angry. And so may God help us have a healthy and godly expression in our anger. Let's close with a word of prayer. Jesus, we just thank you that you are so good to us, Lord. We praise you for, Lord, all the things that you've done for us, Lord. You've saved us. You've provided everything we need, Lord God. You sustained us. And, Lord, you give us the victory over anger. And so we pray, Lord, that as you reveal in our hearts what's the cause of this anger, Lord, that we would learn to love you more than to love the idols of our heart. Lord, we pray that you'd help us, give us victory that only you can give. Lord, I thank you for your people. I pray you bless them, be with them, meet their needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.